Hey folks, we've got a special treat for you today, an episode of the new podcast, A Braver Way, which is brought to you by Braver Angels, which is the largest cross-partisan nonprofit organization dedicated to bridging the political divide. As I'm sure you may have noticed, we are living in incredibly divisive times. A lot of hate out there, a lot of judgments, a lot of people ending relationships over politics, and a lot of people arguing that this is a moral imperative that you should cut your grandmother off because she voted for Biden, or more likely, Trump. Well, Braver Angels is trying to fight against that impulse, and in this new podcast, host Monica Guzman will be joined by guests from across the political spectrum to work out their differences. And we decided to share this episode with you because we think it's important. I mean, maybe not as important as our 17-part investigation into what exactly is a daisy chain, but important nonetheless. And we think the good listeners of Blocked and Reported will find a lot to like here. So please enjoy this episode and check out A Braver Way wherever you get your podcast. It's one thing when the partisan divide is something that's happening out there. But what do you do when it runs right through your own family? You might remember that time when I asked you if, if uh, we were ever going to be prevented from seeing our grandkids because I heard some stories that people people were having that situation in their families. And what can we do to fix what these divides have broken before it's too late? And I felt like my father departed knowing that his daughter loved him and there wasn't any there wasn't anything else. All this and more is just ahead in this week's episode. Welcome to A Braver Way, a show about how you, yes, you, can disagree about politics without losing heart. I'm Monica Guzman, your guide across the divide to help you hear and be heard by people who confound you. We don't want to be at war in our country. We want to be at home. So strap in, because it's time we learn how to turn up the heat, turn down the fear, and get real about things that matter with more of our fellow Americans than we thought possible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our third episode of A Braver Way. This one's going to be different and a lot more personal. It's got a conversation that at one point I thought could never happen. Not because my guests today are big hotshots who wouldn't give me the time of day or anything like that. Just the opposite, really. It's because they're my parents. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Oh, Hi. Hi. How's it going? Get that? Bien? <laughs> Get me in. Before we get to that conversation, which I'm excited and a bit nervous to share with all of you, I need to take a few minutes to tell you how it even came to this. Why letting you in on a pretty intimate set of relationships, stories, and struggles feels important to what we're all trying to do on this podcast. Some of you might already be familiar with my work in Bridging Divides, political depolarization. There's lots of names for this. I wrote a book about it called I Never Thought of It That Way. I joined Braver Angels, the largest cross-partisan grassroots organization working on it. I travel the country, visiting schools, churches, companies. And all along, I'm basically doing two things. Gathering the tools we need to cross big divides in our lives 
and trying to put those tools in easier reach. But no matter where I am in all of this, at one moment or another, I think of my parents. These two awesome people who brought me into this world, who brought me into this country for that matter, and see it all so differently. I'm a liberal. I voted for Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton in the last two presidential elections. My parents are conservative. They voted both times for Donald Trump. When people ask me why I do what I do, I'm instantly transported back to 2016, after that election in Seattle. That's where I live, a city I absolutely love. I was working in daily journalism, keeping a pulse on everything in the city, and I started noticing something that was happening to me when I went to get-togethers and people would start talking about the people who voted for Trump. Just about everyone I knew was liberal and scared for the country, like I was. What I noticed started in my gut. People would say that Trump voters were basically monsters. They wouldn't put it that way most of the time. It would be subtle and quick, and sometimes not even that conscious. A joke about how ignorant they are. A side comment just presuming that they're beyond immoral and uncaring. Sometimes it was a jab out of seemingly nowhere, but it would build up in the group. It would echo around the room. And in my gut, I felt attacked. Me, a liberal who was right there with them on the worry, the frustration. Right there with them on the need to vent and bond and, yes, rage sometimes about the madness I was scared a Trump presidency would bring. But when I picked up this sneaky contempt about Trump voters, that's when I felt it. I started off ashamed of this gut sense of being attacked. I tried to ignore it. I mean, no one's saying it about me, but people opposed to me. Isn't that, I don't know, good? And if it bothers me that people are saying that, isn't, I mean, does that make me bad? But eventually I realized what was going on. When people said horrible things about Trump voters, they were saying horrible things about my parents. People who are good and smart and mean the world to me. I knew what they were saying. What we were saying, frankly, because I saw myself nodding and laughing along. I'm not going to pretend I didn't. I knew it was wrong. But I also began to sense something I didn't clarify till much later. That saying these false, contemptuous things about people we barely knew believing those things, sharing them, building a group identity around them, even if it's because we want to protect the world from harm, is profoundly harmful itself. I know now that in those conversations then, and in those conversations today, whether it's among a group of liberals, or a group of conservatives, or libertarians, or anyone, we're not attacking the other side. We're attacking our collective ability to relate, build, verify, solve, anything. We're attacking ourselves. Sensing this was part of what sent me down this path. And then I started working on my book and hearing from so many people in so many families who were struggling under the weight of their political differences. And I realized that sharing my family's story and struggles could offer a case study, an example of how these things can strain relationships and how certain tools can help. 
Mom and Dad were still a little hesitant to talk publicly about it all, though, which I totally get. My dad, in particular, tends to keep his opinions fairly close. Initially, I was a little nervous about getting to see some rejection from somebody about the way I feel or I think about politics. Yep. Uh, but after I saw what Braver Angels is doing, I, I thought it was a good idea to participate. As for my mom, she's never been that shy about anything. And when we started talking about the idea of recording a conversation together, I realized I probably got my general craving for candor from her. When, whenever we talk about uh, people disagreeing within the family, the famous Thanksgiving dinner talks, and then people say, no, we just don't talk about politics. We just don't talk about religion. We just don't talk about this or that. I say, and I, that, I go, no, <laughs> but you're missing a chance, you know, to learn from each other, to see uh, how the other side thinks, because we, we don't have the full view of things. We never do. So that's, that's my motivator. The accents you're hearing, by the way, are Mexican accents. I was born just outside the big city of Monterrey, Nuevo León, Mexico. My family came to the States when I was five and my little brother was two. We moved to Texas, then New England, when the company that my nerdy dad did IT for in Mexico found a job for him in their factory in Dallas. I spent almost 30 years of my life in Mexico. I grew up there. And all through that time, I was always admiring the, the United States as a country. As soon as I, there were indications that there was going to be an opportunity for us to move into the U.S., uh, I decided, wow, we, I'm going to be able to give my family the opportunity to live the American dream. So my parents packed up our Chevrolet Citation, said goodbye to all our aunts, uncles, my four abuelitos, my amazing cousins. I remember crying a lot that night and started a whole new life. I've always been very close to my family, to my mom and my sisters, and just to move away. And I, we're, you know, I'm the only one who's away. It's not like, okay, everybody wants to go to the U.S. No, you know, nobody did. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and you guys were little, five and two. And, and of course, we had no friends. So, so it was yeah. tough. I remember, mom, when you would cry because you didn't get to talk that long to your family in Mexico oh, because yeah. long-distance charges were really high at the time. Long-distance yeah. was very expensive. And I remember your dad said 10 minutes and that's it. But 10 minutes, with 10 minutes, you just talk about yeah. the weather, you know? Yeah. So so I would yeah. just grab the phone and start running. <laughs> and run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I no, wait, seriously? Dad, really? And your dad would chase me and say, no, her. no. And sometimes I would up. just lock myself oh my in the God. bathroom because I wanted to say more things to my mom. You know, oh, and we were very close. You know, I, yeah. I mean, you cry over her shoulder, you know, because yeah. we're alone in this country and with, yeah. with babies. It's, it's hard. But I, we don't regret it, not even for one second. So it was, a, it was a good move. Being an immigrant has always been a tricky thing to try to explain. And there is so much I didn't know about how my parents got through those early years. At one point in our conversation, mom brought up how dad just gave up on ordering fast food at the drive-thru window. He understood a fair bit of English, technically, but the drive-thru speaker made the cashier's voice come through weird, and he just got fed up with not being able to understand them. Which leads to a fun fact about dad. 
drive-through speakers have gotten a lot better since 1988, and so has his English. But he still refuses to go through drive-through lines at fast food joints and will just park and get out and order. And mom is still kind of ticked off about it. As for me, being in a whole new world made me more shy and more careful. After I heard the drive-through story, I remembered a moment from my first grade classroom in the small town of Dover, New Hampshire. I raised my hand. I remember my heart was pounding to ask my teacher for extra paper I needed for an assignment. She said it was in the drawer and pointed to the front of the room. But I didn't know what a drawer was yet, and I thought what she said kind of sounded like door. So I walked up to a cabinet near where she pointed, and I squeaked, This one? My teacher stormed out of her desk, marched over, pulled my arm toward the right place, and said, Drawer! Drawer! I was mortified. Then a boy in my class laughed. And I think that made my teacher realize she had gone too far. She told the boy it wasn't funny, and that he had to do whatever I asked him to do. Then she turned to me, softened her voice, and asked me to tell him to do something, but to tell him in Spanish. I don't remember what I told him to do, but I do remember him not doing it, and me smiling. The lesson for everyone was clear. We all want to hear and be heard, understand and be understood. It's not fair to resent each other when we don't have the tools we need to do it. So to start off the conversation, we each took turns answering the question, what life experiences have influenced your values and beliefs about public policy and the public good and sent you toward your political side? It's a question I talk about a lot, a version of asking how people came to their beliefs rather than why they believe them. Asking why runs into several snags across a big divide. One, it puts people on the defensive, They want to justify themselves to you instead of candidly exploring their views. Two, it can lead to a showdown of reasons, my reasons versus your reasons, that keep us from listening well to what's really there. And three, a lot of times we don't even know our reasons. Our views are the products of so many things. What we've lived, what we've learned consciously and unconsciously about the world, and what we value. Seeing that and relating to it by hearing about moments from people's paths to their own views makes it a lot easier to get to understanding. Here's mom's answer, then dad's. We had a officially a two-party system, but in reality it was a one-party system. The, the president would select, literally, among his friends or or the people who did him favors, right? Who the next president of Mexico was going to be. And we all voted, but the other party never won because they did everything they could illegal, right? So that they could reelect themselves all the time. So coming from that, you know, uh, your dad and I were, were sick of that. We're tired of that. Um, we like, you know, how in the U.S. you vote, and your vote counts, right? When we moved to the to the U.S. a few years in, I started volunteering because I've, I've always been pro-life. Uh, but in Mexico, it wasn't even an issue because mm-hmm. everybody in those years 
Westboro Life. It, it, it didn't even come up. Every, everybody was in the same boat. Now it's changed. Mm-hmm. So when, when I came to the U.S., I realized, oh, not everybody is of the same mind. So, so being pro-life and all these things, there's no other, no other position for me but being a Republican. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, until anything changes, that's how I'm going to vote. Yeah, so w- once we moved to the U.S., I, I started uh, seeing things, things that like the rule of law, which is something that I've always supported, but it, it was a little frustrating when I was still in Mexico because it looked like it wasn't being respected as it should. And uh, I realized that in the U.S., that is way more respected. So that, that to me was very important, a very important value. Um, and I, I started seeing the, the difference between the, the two uh, sides. And it looked to me like the, the Republican side or the conservative side was more in tune with what I was looking for, including self-reliance, mm. um, economic freedom, not overtaxing the population, you know, trying to get the government out of the way of people's, uh, you know, attempts to do better. And I started lining up with the Republicans on that side. And that's why I'm, I'm a conservative. As for me, I brought up a time I went to visit our extended family in Mexico in 2004, while I was in college. My abuelita, my grandmother, read the newspaper every morning and mentioned a presidential candidate who'd recently been assassinated. But like, casually. Like it just happens. So I asked her a bunch of questions. And there I was, the college-age gringa granddaughter, incredulous not so much that these are the headlines in my native country that I love, but that the people in it just accept it. That there isn't more outrage, more action, more hope. I told my parents about some other moments that came up as I thought about the question with them, too. I remember uh, in high school, in my ethics class, this wonderful teacher who I absolutely love, um, was teaching us all these nuances about ethics. And there was a class that included a documentary about abortion. I think it was called If These Walls Could Talk. And up until then, I was kind of ambivalent in some ways about abortion. The documentary was surfacing all these different people's stories who had chosen to have abortions. And I remember after seeing that, I thought, I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-choice. I want to give people the space to make these decisions. So I remember that really clearly. Um, I don't remember if you, this is another one that has to do with you, mom, but when I was little and the first Iraq war started, I don't remember where we were. I think it might've been in Mexico or like a Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know. But, um, Mexico or Chuck E. Cheese. I, I know. I don't know why those two things. I know it makes no sense. <laughs> but what I, what I do remember is that I was, I, I was little and I was with you and you started crying and I said, mom, what's wrong? And you said, there's a war that starts today. A war is starting today. And I asked you a little bit about it. And you you basically were saying things like, you know, no matter whose side you root for, you know, when people are hurting each other, it's just always bad. And that's that sort of stuck with me as an early moment where I really thought about, you know, harm, the harm that people can come to. So 
that puts me more on the liberal side in a lot of ways. I think all of all of these things I just listed. And these are just a few moments. Um, every time I think about this question, different things come up. But but that's what came up when I was thinking about it now. Okay. What have been our biggest political disagreements? What what do you think are the topics where there's just the most fire? I say pres presidential elections. Yup. Yep. Number we one. Just, we should just say the just say the name Trump. Say the name Biden. Say the name Clinton. Yeah. This has been rough. Yep. Okay. Elaborate, yeah. Papi. Elaborate. Well, that that's when when things got more heated. Exciting because <laughs> exciting because, is one way to put it. Because we, you know, we had different different ideas of who should be president for every election. I remember. Obviously, Trump has a personality that a lot of people don't like. But the reason I always wanted Trump to be president is because of uh, completely different reasons than personality. Uh, it was because he was a businessman and he had his own resources and he didn't have to let somebody buy the, his favors. So to me, that that could be a different kind of president for the country. Because, you know, presidents in the past had always been leaning towards, you know, what the lobbyists would would do, would try them to do or, you know, take a lot of money for their campaigns from this and that. And that I thought that could could be different on, with Trump. Yeah, I got to yeah. I got to tell the listeners, even as you say that, I can feel I can feel my pulse kind of come up. You know, I really, really, I, every time it's just, ah, oh, you know, so in case anybody thinks this is easy for us, it's not easy, you guys. It's really, really not. And my dad and I have had lots of disagreements about Trump. So yeah, even now I can sense the like fire come up in me. And then um, I'll name abortion. Um, I think that when I talk about being pro-choice, mom, I think that that is hard for you to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, because I, I, I knew and I know now so much about abortion and, and the, 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 the specifics on how it's done. Because people, you know, they, they just hear, okay, you know, you just, you just terminate your pregnancy. And for me, it's, no, you're killing a human being. Because what you have in your uterus is not a refrigerator or a frog. It's a human being. So for me, I cannot give an inch on that. I can, I can come to terms with anything else and, and, and see the logic of, of many things, which, you know, you and I have had many conversations, but I can, you know, uh, in particular, think about one time when we were going to our timeshare, we had a timeshare in North Conway when timeshares were cool. Now it's all Airbnb, right? <laughs> we were, it was what, a two, three hour, uh, trip in the car and, and the, the, the subject came up. So, so we started talking about that, and I always suspected that that you, Monica, was that you were pro-choice. But then, at that specific time, you you told me your position, and I, it it really it broke my heart. That was mm -hmm. that was very hard for me because because I couldn't fathom it. And I, I, I was thinking she's gonna have her own kids. How can she think that it's okay to to kill them? you know, before they even have a chance for life. So that, that was hard on me. And I, I cried. It just, it just hit me later when I was alone. And it, it took a, a couple of days to not get over it, because you don't get over that. Yeah. But to just get used to it and be 
content, you know, with the situation because I'm not, I'm not going to change it. You know, that's, that's your position. And that's another thing that then I was still trying to convince you. Mm-hmm. And-, and you were, you were bringing up that we, uh, you, you tried to convince me, I remember about abortion and I tried to convince the both of you not to vote for a certain presidential candidate. That right. didn't work. And I think nope. we, we learned fairly quickly. I, I don't know. It just feels like it's just not going to work. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And so eventually, yeah. I yeah, you were trying to find the word, mom, like content. Is it that you're, you're never okay? You're never okay with it? But I'm, no, I'm not okay with it. No, right. I'm not okay. Right. It's, I still have a little warm. I still have the, the little mm-hmm. Jiminy Cricket that's telling me, oh, this but, is wrong. that's wrong. Yeah. No, but same. You should be same. doing more about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dad, Dad, how do you think about that piece of it? Like, you've tried to change my mind about some things too, but how, how does, I don't know. Like, is there something in you that feels, you know, you're not okay with how I feel about these things? I remember thinking when, when you went to college and you started coming back and, you know, having conversations, I remember thinking, well, she's, she went to this college and apparently in most colleges those days, uh, the majority of the faculty is liberal, the overwhelming majority. So, so I was thinking, well, she's not going to hear in college um, any of my side of arguments. Mm. She's only going to hear the other side. So how far can I go trying to convince her of anything? Mm. It might not be possible. There, there was a time when I thought, well, maybe... Maybe she'll come to her senses as she, <laughs> as she grows. Like, but that's probably just a myth that, that it happens. Because <laughs> I, I remember me being idealistic when I was much younger, like a teenager. And then I, I started realizing that all that is never going to happen. So, Do you think you were more liberal? Uh, you would have been more liberal if you were younger? I might have I might been a, a more liberal when I started uh, I know thinking, you know. Yeah. But then eventually I became more practical about the reality of the situation. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we named yeah. we named the presidential candidates. We named uh, abortion. And then there's one that's hard for me to name, but I think it's something around how a disagreement on how we characterize like the in, the injustices in the United States, mm-hmm. you know, the impact of racism and sexism and those sorts of things in our society is more it's like it's something that for me is is a bigger mm, thing to solve. Um, you know, we we used to have big disagreements about welfare, I think in the yeah, '90s yeah. And, and into you know. So whenever it was some system, you know, um, that I just thought you know it's not working, and so we need to do other things, or we need to strengthen the way that we give people help in a public way, which for me means like the government does it. So that's the way I think of it, and so I've seen. I've seen our disagreements sometimes come around that and whether it is like, you know, 2020 and racism and things like that, there's been disagreements about how bad is this problem and how how much sort of radical steps should be taken to address it that I think we disagree. Uh, But let's move on to, we already said a couple things. What's been hard about having big political disagreements in our family? What have been the challenges for you and the toughest moments? I always felt like, uh, I was a little afraid that thing, those disagreements could break our relationship. So I, I probably tried not to be too too adamant about 
trying to make my point. But like you might remember that time when I asked you if if uh, we were ever going to be prevented from seeing our grandkids because I heard some stories that people people were having that situation in their families and I yeah I didn't want want any of that to happen. Mm-hmm. So that was that the first was my... time I realized that you really were afraid of that when you said that. It, it surprised me to hear it. Like, oh, he really does worry. Yeah. The hardest thing for me it was to give up on trying to convince you because it it's it 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 goes against. I have a very strong sense of doing the right thing. I I always worry. And even though I'm a Republican and there's a, a preconception, I worry about others. And, and you do. And yeah, for you me, really do. and for me to say, okay, I'm not going to try to convince her anymore. That was a huge step for me. For me, one of the hard things, especially in the beginning of the you know Trump campaign and, and after he'd won the first election, uh, I live in Seattle. You know, a lot of, a lot of my friends are liberal, but there were a lot of people who spoke as if you're a bad person if you have someone who supports Trump in your life and you're not always trying to change them. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because I I never questioned my love for you guys, like never, ever, ever. But I did question if I was a bad person for not trying harder to change you. Exactly. I did question that. Like, exactly. Um, and that was hard. And I also remember there was one moment We've talked about the seeing this movie called Bowling for Columbine, um, where it was all four of us in the car and you two were in the front seat and me and my brother were in the back seat. And me and my brother came out from this Michael Moore documentary that, as I look back on it, was pretty anti-Republican. But at the time, me me and my brother saw it as like what we saw it doing was making a really compelling case about a bunch of issues we cared deeply about. But I remember coming out of that going, wow, what a masterwork. And just assuming that the two of you would have seen it exactly the same way I did. And then when we nope. brought up, when I brought up to you, like, wow, wasn't this great? Like, do you see that? Like how cool that is? And you guys were like, not at all. That was garbage. What are you even talking about? And, and, I, and the rage that I felt that you weren't seeing something that was so obvious to me. Um, that, that for me, cause you guys know, I, I'm fire. I am, I am kind of fire. <laughs> and um, the fire comes out when I think you guys aren't seeing something that is so obvious to me. And that, that, that plays out a lot where that's a hard thing for me. That's a hard thing. But that was, the, that was when we, when we started, noticing that we disagreed so much and we mm-hmm. we really didn't know how to do these conversations yeah. so we were pushing each other's buttons and we were triggering each other like there's no tomorrow all day long. on purpose all on day long. purpose well i i think that maybe the reason we didn't see that movie the way you did is because we may might have taken it personally that mm-hmm. it was it was painting us as a monsters right. or bad people, as really guns. bad people. Yeah. That's a great point. Even though, even though awesome. we, you know, we never had, we never owned guns. Yeah. You know, we don't even like guns, but, but we, we support the right of pe- people having the right to own guns or whatever. It's the constitution, right? So, that in that movie, I remember it. It felt like you know maybe we shouldn't even be seeing this movie because we're being painted on the screen like if, if we were part of those things yeah. that they were complaining about 
and yeah. we're not. Yeah. So it's funny because I, I see that now. I see that now. And I don't know that I was seeing that then at all. So so let me ask this. When have you felt attacked by me? Any particular yeah, well, issue? Well, there were there were some parts of the the last stretch of the campaign, the Trump campaign, when he was running against Hillary Clinton. I felt like I was behind enemy lines. Like, uh, for example, I, I had a situation at work with everybody else I worked with was completely against Trump. And they were saying things that if they if they knew, they didn't know that I, I planned to vote for Trump. But if they knew, mm. they would probably kick me out or something. And so I, I felt under attack there and sometimes yeah. at home when, when we had those discussions because... Yeah. For example, if you don't support Hillary Clinton, that means you're racist. There was a lot of that going on. Yeah. I mean, there was the, those those things were coming in from everywhere, social media, everywhere, yeah. the news. And so if you felt so, it from me, it was like a proxy of everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because it, because you were part part of that same mindset. Part of that whole thing. And I think the, yeah. the times that I've felt attacked by you guys was was largely that same dynamic for me where it felt like uh you guys were representatives of a side that seems like it's against me and what i value and i would show up to your house a bunch of times with like i remember dad the the argument we had trump had said that he he had not said that he would respect the peaceful transfer of power like he was asked that right. question at a debate and yeah. he didn't say he would do it <laughs> You know, and so I brought that to you like, OK, this this for sure you have to say is a problem. And you you kind of what you wouldn't say it was a problem. So it's not like I felt necessarily attacked by you, but sort of like you you defending that felt like an attack on everything I feel is good and right. Do you know what I mean? Right. But yeah, but yeah, we yeah. had that conversation and it got really complicated and really interesting. And I learned a lot from you in it. So, I you know don't want to leave it thinking, you know, <coughs> leave it that, that, that there. Okay. So let's move, let's move to what do we even do in our conversations to be able to talk about this stuff? We didn't do this in the beginning, but we, I think we learned to do it to basically not try to change each other's mind. Yeah. Uh, once we realized that that worked, then it would, it would allow the conversations to continue. Now we just try to expose our points of view hear what the, what the other side has to say and maybe sleep on it for a while and come back later with maybe a different approach. And I'm going to go one step further. Not only do we stop trying to convince you to come to our, to our view, but I, well, I personally went, to, went from that to trying to make you understand my position. Mm. These are the reasons why I think this way, and I just want you to understand it. And you did, and and that was, that's amazing, yeah. you know. So yeah. that's that's one thing. So also, uh, like your dad said, taking breaks is important because sometimes you get to an impasse. You yep. get to a, a point where no, you know what? It's too heated. Let's take a break. One time in the middle of a discussion, we watch an episode of, of what? What's the show that we watched together? I forget. X-Files. Um, X-Files. X-Files. And then came back to the <laughs> like, discussion. Pause. You know? We need to go and see that, Mulder and Scully. 
now continue. Yeah. That helps because then you then you calm down, yeah. your heart rate slows down, and then you know you see it in a in a different in a different way. Also, it's important to validate the other person's point of view, you know, because for their position, in their view, if you were in their shoes, that's a logical way of thinking, you know, and it's hard for people, it's hard for us, for everybody to, to put ourselves in, in the other person's shoes. So validation is important. And I, and also we, when we, when we come to a, a place where we don't agree on something, we do research together. We go in and Google it together. We, we search for the, for the answer and then we see, oh, there you go. You know, uh, we're, and usually, we're both a little bit right and mm-hmm. a little bit wrong. Yeah, you that's know? happened a couple of times. I remember, yeah, in particular was that time at your house. You and I right. were having a thing about kids in cages, that policy. Right. And you were saying, you know, this started with Obama. And I was like, no, it didn't. Or like, it couldn't have really. And then we looked it up and parts of it did start during the Obama administration. You know, not everything, but parts of it did. And and I guess we just had... There's a lot of things I think we do to get to the point where we can learn together. And it, it takes it takes some trust. Um, and right. what I was going to say, too, that I think we do really well is, and um, I don't always do it that well, I should say. This is not like a perfect Zen practice at all. But, but, li- but listening for a long time, um, when we're able to really listen for a long time. So that time that I called you, Mom, in 2016, the night of the election when Trump had won. Oh. Yeah, And you were really happy, but you did not let it show because you wanted to hear me and how brutally sad and, and disappointed and scared I was. You were so, you sounded so hopeless. I was. You, you thought the world mm, was going to end the I did. day. And I still worry about the world, to be honest with you. It wasn't, I mean, we survived the last few years, but I worry about some deep things and some of the deep, some of the things I worried about that night, I'm still worried about, but you listened to me and you didn't gloat. You could have gloated. And I I think back to that because then I called you because I ended up writing about that scene in the book and, and I didn't even realize how happy you were because I didn't ask you, did I? I didn't. I was only thinking (laughs) about myself (laughs) and you heard me out. Which, Dad, I think with you, I feel like you and I have more of a banter that goes faster. We're like, no, 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 blah, yeah. blah, 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 <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, maybe maybe the listening isn't always a strong <laughs> well, the other, the other thing I think helps us is, is that we have other things that we can do together besides talking about politics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, you know, music or going to movies or cooking together, or just looking at old photos. Yeah. And that helps because in particular, because you know how, and you were talking about this, my husband, your dad, he has the, the, the amazing capacity, capability of, if we're talking about something, an event in the past or whatever, three seconds to say, oh yeah, look, what? He has how the photo did that from so 15 even years if, ago. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and that particular event, so he has it all, categorized in folders and it's all in the cloud whatever yeah. wherever that and he can is. find and, it on his phone at any moment yeah and that helps because you're having a heated discussion and then we talk about when we're little and say oh here you go and everybody goes oh so it's a yeah. constant reminder that hey no matter what we love each other 
look, we've been through all this together and we love each other. We're there for each other no matter what. And I've told you guys, whatever you do, my love is always going to be there for you. I don't care what you do. I might not agree with what you do. You might be a murderer, but I'm not going to stop loving you. The, even though, you know, it's even though I don't agree with what you do, you know, and, and you know this. Yeah. And then one other thing I want to list, too, is um, you were saying, you know, validating each other's perspective, but um, just acknowledging good points when we make good points, even though we're not going to agree on the whole thing. Um, I think we've gotten pretty good at that. Like, instead of just saying, no, that doesn't make sense as a, as a reaction as the default reaction, like nothing this other person makes sense because my job is to stand for what I believe and I will never give an inch. And actually, I think that over time, I've seen us do that where we say, oh, that's a good point. Saying that's a good point doesn't mean that I'm suddenly weak or that I'm right, exactly. or that I'm going to give ground to you on the overall thing. Um, also, because again, it's not really about winning and losing anyway. So. Right. Right. Over time, I think it's what you said, Dad, you know, we stop trying to change each other so much. And then it's not really about winning and losing. And so saying that right. somebody made a good point, what it does is it encourages, it encourages us to dig deeper. Okay, I think we've got a good bit of things there. So let's, let's get to this. And this is something that I hear from people all the time who know about our story, and that we, we continue to talk about politics, even when it's hard. And they'll go, yeah, but do you actually learn anything? Do you actually show each other things about the issues? Because they hear us say that we're not trying to change each other's minds, which we're not. And and I haven't changed my mind on anything major, and I don't no. think you guys have either. So um, so let's let's talk about what is something you have learned about the issues as a result of talking, you know, to your daughter. One thing I've learned is that there are way more angles to every issue than I realized. Like sometimes I simplify things too much and say, well, for for this particular issue, there's you know their side and and my side or whatever. But there's more. There's there's always more. There there are so many groups of people that have totally different life experiences and situations that for each one it might mean something totally different. Uh, so I I've learned to account for more than one or two or three points of view about a particular issue. So I, so my, my issues, um, or the thing you've learned about an issue or yes, because yes. So, so we were having again, a discussion about Trump and his character. And I kept saying, you know, my talking point that you will, you know, I don't care what he says, just what he does and this and that. And then you said, but mom, he's a terrible role model for your grandkids and go, Oh, <laughs> that he is. Yeah. <laughs> he is because uh, what he says and, 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 and you know, he, he just doesn't have a filter in his mouth. And, and I, I think he should, you know, write something and then read it and then ponder about it and That'd then nice. publish it. But, but that's not what he does. That's what everybody else does. But I say, wow. So that made me really think about it and the other was pretty recent when when um uh roe versus wade uh was uh what's the word i'm looking for Uh, was uh, uh, overturned overturned and you know we were having that discussion and say well monica because again the world is going to be over for you and you were crying you were literally crying i say 
Monica is just going to go to the States. He said, no, mom, but that's not, that's not it. He said, you know, this could be taken as a precedent to continue and, and maybe gay marriage, marriage is going to be abolished. And then, and then that's when we went and did research together and we saw it. I said, Oh my gosh, you know, that's true. And, uh, and it's a completely valid point, you know, and you, you're right. Hopefully it won't happen because I believe anybody should get married if they wish to get married why not how does that affect me but but anyways those are the two the two moments that again i'm not gonna turn into a a democrat or liberal but uh, that made me think that well yeah she's right in this you, you know with with this issue so i i have one for each of you um for with dad you know, our conversations about Trump have taught me so much. I remember there was a time when you told me, you know, do you remember the character House, you know, from that TV show? So House is is uh, this wonderful TV show about this doctor. Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie, yeah, played by Hugh Laurie. Total jerk. Just a terrible behaving person in every way. And he he's a genius and he works at this hospital and he does not respect anyone else in leadership. And he treats them like crap. But he's always working out the puzzle of how to help the patient with the mysterious ailment. And he'll, that's what he's out to do. But he's a broken, like something about him as a person is fairly broken, right? Um, but he's, he's focused on these things. And so when you told me that to you, Trump was kind of like that, that, that um, yeah. you know, just not, you know, not a respectful person, maybe like maybe these things he doesn't do very well. But he's really working to try to save that patient, and and I was really trying to see things from a point of view, and that that um, that illuminated something for me. And so did that conversation I brought up earlier, where I said, you know, Trump is not Trump is saying that he wouldn't honor the the peaceful transfer of power. Like, how can that possibly? We ended up having a conversation about, you know, being a winner or the strength. And, and you basically, you pointed out that one of the reasons you love Trump and you really respect Trump is that he is such a winner that he doesn't even entertain the possibility of defeat. And I remember you put it to me that way. And, and for that moment, I was like, oh, that adds up to me. Like, I get that. Like, I get how that would, that would come off as being like a really strong winner. Somebody who doesn't even yeah. entertain the possibility of defeat. I'm extremely worried about the consequences of that in our democracy. <laughs> like, not okay with that at all. <laughs> like, we're laughing here, but this is actually like a real worry. Uh, but, but I, but I, but I knew what you meant, you know. And that really, it, it, again, it illuminated something for me. And then, mom, um, you know, I was in summer of 2020, obviously everyone was having a lot of conversations that were really tough around race and racism and justice and everything. And black lives matter was everywhere. And I remember, you know, you, you, you didn't support black lives matter, the organization, you would tell me I support the movement. I don't support the organization. And I was like, what's the difference? What do you mean? Like, why would you not support the organization? They're, they're working for something really important. And you, you gave me a specific thing. You said, uh, you said, I've looked through their materials. And I remember being kind of impressed, like, oh, you have? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I looked through their website. I do my homework. Yeah, I looked through their website. I looked, looked through their materials. And and you said there's, you know, they part of their platform 
it doesn't um, doesn't really like make space for the family. I, I forget exactly how. No, you more put than it. that, they, they, they they're yeah. trying to de-emphasize the family. They, de-emphasize they, family. They try to emphasize yeah. community and de-emphasize yeah, exactly. family. So I I thought you were probably exaggerating, <laughs> and so I went and looked at the website, and they did pretty clearly in that platform. At least then, I don't know if it's changed. At least then, de-emphasize family. And, um, you know, I majored in sociology in school. I, I sort of intellectually and sociologically understood some of those reasons. But I also recognized that, you know, I, I do think family is important. You know, maybe that comes from my culture. I, I don't know. But I but I do think family is really important. And so, yeah, I ended up liking the organization a little a little bit less myself. Um, not not as much. And I still support, like I supported it. But but that was something that I, I realized I had a problem with because of talking to you. Um, okay, well, we're, we're, we're closing out a little bit here. Uh, so, you know, we are, we are our own family. We're one set of data points. We are unlike any other family. We might have some similarities, but we're all different. So there's a lot of families out there that are, are just can't sometimes laugh about this stuff, can't get hopeful in any way can't talk to their daughter or their dad just can't do it have given up so so a lot of folks feel a deep despair and hopelessness around political divisions and families in particular and and to your point dad about what you're saying you know there's something central about family or something that feels like home and and i've i've talked to a lot of people like in tears about they've they've lost something there or they feel that they can't get it back or that there's no way forward and then where does that leave the rest of us so what do you want to say you know to to your fellow conservatives or your fellow parents or your fellow grandparents about um who, who might be losing hope like what would you say i i want to say that people should try <laughs> to keep their mind open to new ideas because um you know we have we have a general generational belief that you know the er, the earlier generation was better things are getting worse all the time but i think it's the opposite i think that every new generation brings something totally new to the world and we need to respect that and be open to their ideas because they are the ones that still care we don't care so much anymore but they do <laughs> so be open their their ideas and also try to try to control that initial reaction to hearing something that somebody says that you don't agree with because uh, if you don't if you react immediately you would consider that a done deal but if you if you don't react and you think about it later and maybe try to bring up that subject again you might have a better chance to resolve the conflict and just continue a conversation. So that's what I that I, that's what I want to say. Yeah. And by the way, I've noticed I've noticed you a couple times with me be like, "Hey, remember that other day where we were talking about, you know, January 6th? I what you know, I'm thinking about this and then we'll just restart." And it's just kind of right. neat. Yeah, that you do that. Okay. Well, uh I'll I'll just really quickly say my piece, you know, to families who are losing hope. I I have met a lot of people who really thought the doors were closed forever and you kind of never know like there might be cracks in those doors there might be just a little bit of light um and and i think that 
oftentimes the way to make those cracks a little bit wider is to do the counterintuitive thing, the thing that you often don't want to do if, if you feel that things have been burned too far, which is just to listen, just to listen. That's it. And it's really hard because you'll, you'll, you may feel really wounded or un unseen or unappreciated. And then the counterintuitive thing is that people can't hear unless they're heard. Um, and so if you start to see a crack and, and you do a little bit of listening and then a long time may go by and that person may want to do a little bit of listening to you. I just talked with a friend actually who has been up and down in her family and just decided, you know, once again, to kind of lock them out for a while. And she said that somebody, somebody in, in her family texted her saying, you know, I love you and I miss you. And you would think that that would open the door, but things have been so toxic between them that my friend sees that as, no, she's making this about her. It's her love of me and her missing me. You know, that's what's, that's what's important. And so I, so I asked my friend, what if this, this relative of yours, and she didn't respond. What if this relative of yours texted something like, how are you? And my friend went, went, oh my God, that would mean the world. If she just said, how are you? Because she feels that this person does not recognize who she is, does not love her for who she actually is. So when she says, I love you, it comes up hollow because she thinks you don't even know who mm -hmm. I am. But but if but if that person texted, how are you, it would make all the difference and she would respond. And I thought that was so powerful. <laughs> so I wanted to pass that on. So for anyone who's kind of in that place, like, yeah, th this stuff is really hard. And we have just one more, uh, which is, you know, given the state of things right now, what gives you hope uh, about your adopted country? What gives me hope is mm -hmm. that this country has always been about people getting involved in their government and their future. And as long as people get keep getting involved, things will always get better. Uh, they, there's ups and downs and there's pendulum that goes one side versus the other. But essentially, uh, the country survives big crisis and continues to go because everybody is still involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really well said. Uh, organizations like Brave Angels give me give me a lot of hope, especially after attending their 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 annual convention. Because because people that that want to reach to the other side, we feel alone sometimes. You know, we, you think you're you're one in a million. No, you're not. Yeah. You know, there there's more and more of us that want to reach to the other side and and talk to each other. So organizations like Brave Angels that gives me uh, plenty of hope. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You, you all put it really well. Uh, there's, there's not a lot I would add. I, I think you're right. Like the, I, I kind of come to the same place that the fact that people are stepping into this, finding their ways, their, their way to this, you know, recognizing that there's a lot that can't work if we can't talk to each other and that in the family, you know, like you said, dad, it's, it's sort of, it's a really important unit of, of all of this. Um, and so, I know people are trying really hard and, and that's part of what gives me hope is, you know, folks have, folks have hit their limits, but what that means is that I think we're, we're learning our limits um, and we're learning what it means to respect each other and to listen, not just to each other, but to ourselves and understand how we work, you know? Um, and I think that's something that has just been just amazing about the people I'm doing this work with and about, 
the two of you. So don't lose hope, everyone. We, we really we really can do this. And I think a lot of it is just seeing the power that we have always had to do it. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Pues gracias, papis. Gracias. Gracias, Gracias. Gracias. Thank you so much. Besos. Besos. Bye. Bye. So there it is, folks. One family story, trials, errors, and tools for crossing the political divide with people who share with you the deepest roots and connections. And I offer it. Well, no, my parents and I offer it with the hope that something about what you've heard can help you unlock even a little more of your family's story, trials, errors, and tools for this. If that's what you want or want to try. If it isn't right now or ever, with whatever people may come to mind for you this episode, don't feel you have to force it. Relationships are so mysterious and personal. Sometimes the best thing you can do with a link you have to someone you love who's wildly different isn't to test it, but just to try and keep it. Or, if it's breaking, to try and get it back. That's what a woman named Janice realized when her visits to her dad and exposure to his political opinions kept tossing them both into these awful fights. What brought her back to her dad wasn't easy, but it came just in time. Here's Janice to share her story. My name is Janice Dickinson, and I live in Winthrop, Washington. I was born to a very liberal mother. I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder, which was a very liberal place. I married a liberal. My friends are liberals. There's several issues uh, on the blue side. One is gun control. Another one is abortion. And those things are very important to me and are much better represented, r- represented by the blue side. I had this contentious relationship with my father. And, it, and my, my stepmother, who was his beloved wife, died five years ago. And I was one of the people that was trying to help him. Uh, in his 80s as he was living alone and needing a lot of assistance. I would come to visit my dad and it takes me an entire day to get from where I live in Washington State to where he lived in Colorado. So I would spend all this time and energy coming to visit him and I would walk in the front door and I would hear Fox News on and they would be on a rant because that's what they do on Fox News so you could hear it immediately and it would there would be some mention of something that I disagreed with and I just feel this irritation immediately uh, and I guess I didn't I wasn't aware but I'm aware now that irritation was something that he could feel so I I think the whole event would take really only a few seconds to happen. And then it would set off a chain re- a reaction of my dad being irritated back with me. And it, it would eventually escalate into him getting really mad at me. And then I would pack up my stuff and leave. And I had been every time intending to stay with him or had been staying with him and I'd have to go to a hotel. And it was pretty sad. It was really, it was a, it, I cried every time. It was, it was an emotional 
situation, my brother who lives locally would be upset. It would just cause turmoil. And I started um, Braver Angels kind of during this time. There are two women from my alliance, Sulani Madsen and Sharon Lonergan, who are really outspoken, very conservative women. Sulani Madsen was an architect. And in one of our workshops, she started talking about how she felt there were too many rules and that the left had imposed too much structure on construction and that it was part of why construction was so expensive. And I know my father had been in construction and, and it, the light bulb went off and I thought, oh, I agree with that. And that was one of the first ones. And I just felt I, I started to change. So then I started having these visits with my dad where I would walk in the door and I wouldn't get triggered by Fox News because I, it wasn't bothering me anymore because I, I was beginning to believe that people could have other views and that it was acceptable. What was so cool was my dad changed too. I wasn't coming in and whatever energy I was giving off to him wasn't happening. So he wasn't reacting to it. And we became almost instantly an amazingly different relationship and very loving and kind. And I was one of the people that could help him navigate because he still was a contentious person. He still, that was his personality. But he never got mad at me again. And this went on for a couple years. I was able to manage his care and do all these things. And the very last visit, I'm going to get choked up, sorry. I guess it still hits me. But the very last visit I had with him, he and I had, and my brother had this incredible time with him. It was just an amazing moment. And then a, a couple weeks later, he had a stroke. And I made it to the hospital two hours before he died, and he was completely unconscious, and I never got to talk to him again. And I felt like my father departed knowing that his daughter loved him. And I said goodbye to him knowing how much I cared about him. And there wasn't any, there wasn't anything else. It was just pure and clean and so wonderful. I think the biggest thing for me is I sleep at night because I'm not feeling like half the country are terrible people and uneducated. I just feel like I'm not afraid of the other side. And we had the memorial or the funeral for my father. We had 27 family members and many of them are conservative and nobody cared. And it was an amazing celebration of his life and connection for all of us. Connection for all of us. It seems impossible sometimes, naive. But I don't know, what if it isn't? And what if the conflicts and struggles themselves are part of what teach us how to make it happen? With that, I'm ready to send you brave souls back to your worlds with a song. Like the rest of this episode, this one is more personal. It's called I Never Thought of It That Way. It was written by my dad, Bernardo Guzman, last year as a gift. And he performs it here 
with me. That's our show, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this third episode of A Braver Way. I'm so glad you're here. A Braver Way is a production of Braver Angels. We get financial support from the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust and Reclaim Curiosity. Our senior producer and editor is David Albright. Our producer is Jessica Jones. Our theme music that you hear in the intro each episode and in some other spots is by the fantastic number one billboard bluegrass charting hip-hop band, Gangsta Grass. A special thank you to Mike Cassantini and to our contributor, April Lawson. I'm your host and guide across the divide, Monica Guzman. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share this episode with your friends all across the political spectrum, and maybe especially your family. Questions, comments, surprises, you can always reach us at abraverway at braverangels.org. Take heart, everyone. Until next time. We just need to find some common ground. They say curiosity killed the cat But the cat didn't die the first eight times We can build a bridge across the gap But we don't have to cross it on day different ways to see the world that should be okay what if we're not wrong that should be okay what if we're not wrong